0: internet travelers, and welcome once again to a before and after show. Um, This is a before show, and if you've been paying attention, there was another before show before this one, and not an after show in between, and that's because, as I mentioned in the last episode, life is pretty hectic right now, so uh, I'm gonna take care of a little bit of business up front. Um, Ed Wood is great for all the reasons that biopics don't work, and... Black Mass is super boring, so watch Ed Wood, don't watch Black Mass. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Johnny Depp is good in Black Mass, though, so uh, I was right on that, but not right on the movie being phenomenal, as I expected. Um, But... Now that, old business, business, now that old business is taken care of, we're on to two new movies, and I promise we'll have a full-length episode for both of these movies. Um, and I'm joined by a guest, which is something that hasn't happened in a while. So everyone, please welcome, put your hands together, if you're sitting at your desk at work, clap right now for uh, Mr. Robert Del Tour. Hello, everybody. Uh, Robert and I go way back. And, Robert, um, do you want to explain to the people who you are and why I probably chose you for this podcast? Well,
1: I guess I can go ahead and do that. Um, I've known MJ since I was very young in high school, and he was uh, on his way out. Uh, We've been friends for a long time. I uh, went ahead and did the stupidest decision I ever made, and I went to film school. Yay! (laughs) And spent a lot of money learning a lot of things that I learned on the Internet later for free. And uh, I've been working in the film industry uh, since about 2007. Uh, I work in a various capacities in the camera department, and post-production, visual effects, and uh, wherever they will throw money my way. But um, I've been doing that pretty much full-time, uh, as long as there's work available, and uh, I just really love it, and uh, MJ and I have really had a, a very kindred bond with our love for certain movies, and yeah. uh, a couple fights over our <laughs> hatred or love of other movies, so uh, we, we kind of click very well that way.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite thing you like doing on set?
1: My absolute favorite thing is getting to play with the cameras without having any responsibility with them. Hmm. Uh, so what that tends to end up being is digital image technicianing. Okay. Um, so I get to supersede the director of photography on certain camera settings. Um, I get to sit in with the camera operator as he builds the camera and get to help choose the camera. But I don't have to be responsible for if the shot comes out. So Yeah, that's uh, good. That's a lot of fun uh, on the, the larger budget sets. But when I'm doing smaller budget stuff or my own projects, I really love to have the camera in my hand. Uh, and I've recently started delving into directing, which is a new monster that I'm yeah. facing. So, Are you liking that? Or? I'm, I'm loving it so far. Okay. Um, I am just doing it on smaller web series. And um, it's been something I've wanted to tackle for a long time. But I've always felt that you needed to be able to do every other job on set or at Mm. least be able to explain it well enough somebody else could do it from what you say right that way you can detach yourself and focus on your process but still have enough respect for what everybody else is doing that you don't get lost in it
0: right yeah I mean directing is essentially you know being a traffic cop for the set yeah
1: Um, and everyone's mood is based off of yours so if I don't trust my grip department well enough to do their job I'm going to be stressing about that and being on them instead of being with my actors and and working on the performance. So I've been slowly building up relationships with people that are willing to do it for peanuts uh, and come out of my sets. And um, it's getting to the point now where I have got enough relationships where I can focus on directing. Okay. Um, And I have enough respect for their process and I know what they're doing that I can just let it go. Um, So it's been a, a really nice release and it's been really fun to be able to say all those comments that i've been thinking like why don't you have them do this for all those years right right and now i can say you know what when you say this line i want you to turn your hand a certain way and people go okay they don't question you and yeah like, who are you and why are you talking to me yeah so it's a lot of fun I'm that's
0: really cool it. that's good you are probably more qualified than myself to be on this podcast actually uh I so before we head into the two movies we will be talking about, mm-hmm. which I'm very interested to talk about. Me too. Uh, um, I My prediction right now is we're going to have two very different uh, uh, mindsets about this man. But before we get into that, uh, have you been watching anything this week? Or
1: uh, This week in particular, uh, I've been catching my girlfriend up on Star Wars because she has not seen them. Okay. So we, uh,
0: Any of them? Or? She had
1: not seen a single one. Okay. So uh, we dove into New Hope okay and uh had to restart it about three times to really know who was what and um just really remembering how much of a magical experience seeing that film yeah. was my dad took me to see that for the first time when they did the theater in release. Yeah. that was the very first time i saw star wars me too that moment you know everyone from the 70s talks about it Maybe yeah a lot of our generation missed it but that's how i remember star wars yeah so that was really cool um and i also saw your least favorite film of the year again recently uh, Jurassic world Jurassic world which I love, but uh, I understand your contempt for it. Oh, man,
0: I hate that movie uh, and then I tried watching the Muppet Show Oh, that was painful, wasn't it? Uh, as much
1: as I love the Muppets uh, yes, it was very painful yeah, I, the Muppets will always have a special place in my heart because that was the first major mm-hmm. feature film i've ever worked on. Was, I remember that was the two thousand and ten Muppet film um, but yeah I don't I don't know that uh that this has got the staying power that the Muppets can bring to a, yeah, a series.
0: Yeah, I so. 100% agree. Um, I also watched the Muppets, and uh, I like—I don't feel betrayed by the Muppets themselves. Right. I feel betrayed by the people in charge.
1: I think it's just a formula, honestly. Everything about the show, I'm okay with. I, I like the idea that Piggy has a TV show. Yes. We're just seeing the Muppets for who they are as opposed to the characters they play. But I don't think we need another version of The Office we've had 12 or so in the last couple of years yep. I'm tired of this imaginary documentary that's randomly following this family in all its facets around for 12 years with no input right. you know, it worked for the office because they acknowledged that there's a documentary crew and at the end they acknowledged that they made a documentary Yeah, and it was okay the first time but modern family, now the Muppets, everybody's using this device. wreck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm tired of it.
0: And the Muppets made mention of that. They have, yes. they, they. there's a joke with Gonzo where he makes mention of it, but it felt really hollow. Like, and I felt like it was
1: too early in the episode for it. Mm, I feel like that if that had been. It was
0: one of the first jokes. Yeah. yeah. If that had
1: been towards the end of the episode, it would have set it up to be like, oh, okay, so they're self aware about it. Right. Whereas in the beginning, I'm like, okay, you're acknowledging it's a mistake and still yeah. doing it. Why? Yes.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh,
1: but I'm gonna keep watching, and I want to see what it goes because there's not a lot of other strong shows this year. Yeah, Screen Queens is terrible. Is it? I Do thought about not, watching it. I watched one scene. Okay. And it was one of the worst things <laughs> I have ever seen put to celluloid, and it was so painful that I wanted to look away. But like every true train wreck, you couldn't.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I also watched Last Man on Earth. The, oh, the premiere yeah, I don't know yeah, if you've watched that I haven't
0: yet. I've watched the first season but we haven't watched the premiere yet because it just uh, happened the other night yeah
1: the premiere was two nights ago I yeah um, I, I think that's gonna be a return to the strength at the beginning of the first season good because it started off super so
0: strong so strong I thought it ended pretty strong it did. too I think but it got real draggy in the middle yeah they made uh, they made Phil
1: too hateable yeah mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, there's a fine line and I, I really really think that guy whose name I just forgot well, forte? forte is is very good at portraying that kind of character yes Well, you love hayden uh and i think he's getting back to that this season and i good. think it's gonna be worth watching
0: good yeah he became like kind of just straight up vile in the middle mm-hmm. and then they gave him a redemption art because i think yeah. they kind of like acknowledged it yeah. i think fox does that a lot with their shows which is really strange we just finished the first season of gotham last night mm-hmm. um and that did the same thing where like it kind of started off in a way that I liked and then got really stupid for a lot of episodes. And then the end kind of redeemed it back to what I liked about when the show started off. And my understanding is that season two is starting off really strong. I haven't seen any of season two yet. I have
1: not. I stopped right when it got really silly in Mm -hmm. the first season uh, because, in my opinion, they're trying to do a film noir with modern technology, which I don't believe works. I think one of the things that really sells it as a film noir is... If, oh, man, they strapped the bomb strapped the bomb to the bridge, we've got to get there now. It's got those dire strikes. Why don't you just pull out your cell phone and call the bomb squad and have them take a helicopter down there? Right. You know, nowadays, I can tweet what's happening. It's not as impactful as if it happened when it was supposed to be like the in the 30s and 40s. Right. When his origin story should have happened, I think it would have been a better series. Okay. But um, I have insider information on the ratings for the show, and it has definitely picked back up yeah. this week. Yeah, it um, seems like it. The start was a lot softer than they wanted, um, but it, it's picking back up and gaining.
0: So. It seems like it. I feel like I'm hearing more buzz about it online than yeah. I did anything about the first season. Absolutely. So, I think, and I think the show's had potential from the beginning. Um, I just, I think they kind of squandered it in the first season, but if they made it to a second season yeah then especially that's with fox because
1: they're notorious for killing things before they have a yeah. chance yeah yeah so, so that's fox, good. never they wouldn't kill <laughs> why
0: would they ever do that
1: Terra Nova and firefly or anything like that yep anything else um no i think that's about it uh i've been mostly just focusing on uh pre-production and now principal photography for the web series i'm working on and okay that's consuming my life
0: yeah um, we will get to that, uh, later, because I do okay. want to talk about that and have you plug it to the 30 people that listen to the show.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, Double our viewership.
0: Yay. For me, I... Oh, you know what? I want to talk about a movie that I haven't talked about on the show yet, and I don't know why, because it might be my favorite movie of the summer. Okay. Um, I had the fortune of seeing Man from U.N.C.L.E. a few yes, weeks thank ago. thank you for saying that. It was so good! It was... Great! That movie was great!
1: There was one shot in that film that was better than every other film I've seen this year. What's that? The light spinning in the torture scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one shot, uh, I went and saw that with my girlfriend. It was the first movie we saw together. Okay. And in that scene, the villain does a very sinister look where he leans in. And the lighting captured me so much that I realized I made the exact same face as the villain who's torturing a guy is making. Wow. And I looked over and my girlfriend was staring at me in horror thinking it was the torture that I was liking. It was, no, no, I swear, I swear it's the lighting. I just really love it. It's delicious. Uh, but i yeah, I honestly think that was one of the most fun films. Oh, I, that I didn't have any problems with it. It nope. was exciting. Yep. The lighting was
0: incredible. It looked great.
1: Yeah. It, it, that was much better than Mission Impossible I thought so too Uh, much better than I will say it sadly Jurassic World Uh, it's that and Mad Max are yeah. my two favorite especially visual films this oh, year
0: yeah. incredible films yeah yeah. I, for for a long time I thought it was going to be Mad Max but I think Man From Uncle ekes it out the thing is Mad Max is very serious yes, <laughs> um, yes. which is fine that's great it and it should serious. be yeah. but I had so much fun watching Man From Uncle like, I haven't I,
1: smiled in a movie oh in my that gosh. much in so long
0: it was so cool. Yeah. And just like Henry Cavill was great. And mm-hmm. I had basically given up on that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Army Hammer was great, which is cool because I've liked him in everything I've seen him in, mm-hmm. but I've never liked a movie I've seen with him.
1: Yeah, he's kind of like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the sense of he does an incredible performance, but the film doesn't carry it the mm-hmm. way he did. Right. Uh, yeah, I feel like this could be a. Oh, I mean he's obviously an A-list star anyways right. but this could really be his breakout turn into something important. I hope it is.
0: And like I have a very sensitive ear for accent dropping and yes. I nothing. Oh man. Nothing from that guy. Yeah. It was great. Oh man, Hugh Grant was great in it. <sighs> Honestly, I don't think there was one thing about that movie that didn't work. I had one thing that I didn't okay. like, and that was the beginning of the assault on the island at the end, when it mm. was all very comic booky. It was very overwhelming, and we hadn't really been overwhelmed visually in the movie yeah. up to that point. For me,
1: I guess uh, coming from a visual effects and editing standpoint, that was just stunning to me. I thought it did such a great job of setting up uh, how hectic. At that kind of thing yes, is i'll give you that um i think tonality wise it worked mm-hmm. it could it probably was a bit much uh because it wasn't it was just a single vignette it wasn't something that they had set up over the entire film right so i could see that right
0: it was the first time it had been used and i think it went on just a little too long if they get the if they would have cut it by mm-hmm. maybe like a quarter of the time it ran I wouldn't have had as big of a problem with it. Yeah,
1: I'll concede that to you. I I, I thought it was very tastefully done. Yeah, but if not, maybe just a little much. Yeah, it was, but if that's
0: the only negative yeah. thing
1: we have to say about that film, it's a good film.
0: Yeah, man, that ugh. the scene where they break into the the nuclear base or whatever the, the, the boat chase. Oh, yeah. My oh
1: my gosh, I, it, was, I was cracking. I was almost in tears. It was with hilarious. Laughter. Yeah, that was ugh. brilliant.
0: And just the way they, like, portrayed the relationship of, like, Brain versus Brawn yes. in these two characters mm-hmm. was really cool. Like, I don't know. But
1: they never sided with one. Yeah! It allowed them to both have their moments. Yeah! Which I thought was great. Oh, man, the movie was so good. I think this year is really signifying a return to some of the things that made cinema great in the I, past years. I yes. think this felt like a really good 1960s 1970s spy film like an old it felt like a Roger Moore James Bond yes exactly and as much as we'll disagree on Jurassic World I thought it brought back that 90s individual characters that you could like a little bit yeah I really really liked the character in the control room whose name I can't remember the Jake what's his name Jake Miller from the guy from New Girl Girl? Yeah. yeah I thought his character was fantastic. I thought he would have felt fit perfectly in with a true Spielberg Jurassic Park. If
0: you listen to the Jurassic World episode, he's the saving grace for me in that movie. He's, I I say in that episode that he's the only thing that feels true to the nature of Jurassic
1: Park. Yes, but I think that that's a good sign that we're starting to get characters like that again. Yeah, Mad Max was, to me something akin to the feeling that i got when i saw jurassic park for the first time mm-hmm. it was one of those moments where as you're watching the film you just lean forward into it and go oh my god they put that on film that yeah. happened that was yeah. real and uh, it, it felt classic cinema whereas i haven't felt that in so long because we're in the age of cgi and, right and what can we get away with doing on green screen as opposed to what can we get in the budget to do for real
0: yeah, and I think I think a, a movie that is probably going to go overlooked that I also got kind of a kind of that feeling in was The Visit, weirdly, and that's because I had foreknowledge of what the twist was at the right. end of the movie. Okay. So when I was watching it with an audience that didn't know. I had a blast oh, yeah. because every decision they make in the movie makes sense once you find out like what happened. Okay. But like me watching that, I thought the gags were hilarious. I thought they were jokes. Mm. But when you don't know, they're scares, and I thought it was cool the way that tone shifts. If nice. you see the movie more than once, or if you have foreknowledge about what yeah. what happens, because um, it's like I can see the suspense in it, but also if you know what it is, you can also see the humor in it too. So I think that like that uh, I think that movie had very good. And it just had good sensibilities. I think we're seeing better sensibilities than we've had in a long time. The filmmakers are more aware, uh, it seems, that we've got more
1: intelligent art, uh, audiences mm-hmm. nowadays. We've got people that don't want to be spoon-fed anymore. We're tired of Michael Bay blowing things up. Right. I have a deep love for Michael Bay because every once in a while you want a film that's a roller coaster. Yeah. You can just go turn in or, you know, give your ticket, sit back, and be taken on a ride. Yeah. I'm never going to sit here and analyze Transformers. Exactly. Because it doesn't work. As soon as you pick it apart, it's a garbage film. Sorry, Michael. Love you. But we're starting to get into the point where viewers want that content. They want thicker films. They want characters that have those backstories. They want more Han Solo's. Yeah. They want people that you could hate. Yeah. But you love them.
0: Yeah. I agree. Um, You know, and I think I, I had a Transformers vibe from... San Andreas, Like, I had a blast with that movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't pick it apart. Like, that's a short episode of the show. Yeah. Because it's a little bit critic-proof. Like, trying to get any subtext out of that movie is ridiculous. Yeah. But it did its job. It knew it was doing its job. It knew that was the job it wanted to do. As long as you know your goals as a filmmaker... Absolutely. And you accomplish them, you made a good movie. Yeah. And I think that's part of the... I think that's my big problem with film criticism now is no one's willing to meet a movie halfway. Like, everything has to be amazing or it's terrible. Right. And it's like, well, no, okay, let's look at what this movie sets out to accomplish based on its structure, based on the clues given to you in the screenplay. Did it accomplish those goals? Yes. Okay, it's good.
1: Yeah. And my baseline for any film, uh, doesn't matter what genre it is, is did I enjoy it? Yes. Because if I have to force myself to like it, it's not a good film. Yeah. You know, uh, as much as I loved moments from it, Inception was that way to me. Mm. By the end of it, I just was so not lost in the story, but I've lost my uh, camaraderie with the characters. I just didn't care. Those moments were wonderful. It was a great film in that sense, and it was really cool, the different levels of it. But at the end of the day, if I'm sitting there looking at my. 200-plus movies that I have to watch, I'm not going to pick that one out.
0: Yeah, I actually agree with you 100%. I was super high on that movie when it came Mm -hmm. out, but it doesn't hold up. It It doesn't hold up at all, actually. Visually, stunning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks great.
1: you could cut a five-minute music video out of it that's Academy Award-worthy. Yeah. But the movie, uh, it doesn't hold up. And I think it's from that age of filmmaking where they were just yeah we're saying it's complicated buy it
0: (laughs) yeah and i feel like i don't i don't know how you felt about interstellar but i felt that way about interstellar as well i thought it had moments yes
1: here comes the the bad filmmaker in me i have not seen interstellar yet
0: oh that's fine it's not that good yeah
1: I've, (laughs) i've heard visually incredible yeah Great. Uh, story wise, just watch the Lincoln commercials, and you get enough of
0: it. Yeah, pretty so. much. Um, I think I think Matthew McConaughey's good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's one of the best actors out there today. Um, Definitely underrated because yeah.
1: you know you still think of him as that bro.
0: Uh, yeah, right, all
1: right, all right, yeah.
0: But I feel like the older he gets, the more he's turning into Paul Newman. And yeah, which he's is good. yeah. <laughs> we
1: need more character actors that yeah. are, are solid and just who they are.
0: Yeah. So I I watched uh, in addition to Man Buncle I also watched, uh, I just got done watching, before you walked in my door to record, I just got done watching a documentary called The Overnighters, Okay. and uh, it's a documentary, I believe it's from 2014. Um, I heard about it on Malton on Movies, Leonard Malton's podcast. Mm-hmm. He he talked about this documentary, and it's about, um, it's about... Oh, uh, Willowsby, North Dakota, uh, which is essentially a boom town right now because okay. fracking is huge there. Mm-hmm. So fracking is caught on really big in North Dakota and you've got all these people going for jobs and the job market can't hold that many people and so it's just super overpopulated but it's all really small towns, so there's nowhere for anybody to go everything's full all the jobs are full all the rv parks are full a lot of these are guys with criminal records a lot of these are guys who only had money that they borrowed from a lot of people to get a one-way ticket to this town because they were promised you know you can have a felony and be making 100 grand a year um and so there's kind of nowhere for these guys to go and the movies about this uh I want to say Lutheran pastor. It's about a pastor who has opened up his church to let these guys crash at the church. Okay. And he didn't really ask permission from the church to do it. So, uh, he just kind of made the decision. And when the church kind of, when the church found out they were cool with it, you know, um, But now it's starting to hinder the church. It's been going on for two years. Oh, okay. Um, You know, they thought it was going to be for spring, and then spring turned into fall, and then fall turned into winter, and then winter turned into next winter. And it was putting a big strain on a lot of the people in the church. Yeah. Um, It was putting a big strain on the family because this guy was taking care of these guys all the time. Um, And so it's just kind of this battle. And this pastor is like, I read a review that said he's almost pathologically compassionate to these guys, like, all, like to a fault. Yeah. And so it's just kind of his story, and there's there's a third act revelation that's kind of... the. When I finished it, I didn't like it. I thought it was very much, uh, look at this hypocrite, because there's a, a personal sin that's revealed of the pastor. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think it may just be like, th- this guy had the thing he was dealing with too, but... That doesn't mean you can't help people.
1: Yeah, adding um, an additional layer to his conflict instead yeah, of being a crush.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was uh, the third act revelation is that uh, he struggles with same sex attraction and mm-hmm. he's been acting on that with some of the men in the uh, the overnighters program, is what okay. it's called, and thus committing adultery with his wife. And so the movie kind of ends on a down note where he sets he steps down from being a pastor. Now he's part of essentially the overnighters. Mm-hmm. But the Overnighters have been shut down by the city. Um, And that's just kind of where the movie ends, which is real sad.
1: So it's District 9 in the Midwest with people instead of aliens.
0: Yes! Holy cow! Wow, (laughs) nailed it!
1: film school for ya.
0: Yeah, and so it's it's that. But yeah, like I said, I was very not on board with Mm -hmm. the, like, I struggle with same-sex, I thought it was very much like, look at this hypocrite and this two-faced Christian, but now that I'm thinking about it and talking about it with someone, the more I realize it's just like... We've all got our problems. Yeah. Which is a much better, like, because it's a very even-handed movie, mm-hmm. and so I felt a little betrayed when they revealed that he's got stuff, but then it's like, well, he's a person. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Maybe that could, I haven't seen it, obviously. Right. It could have been something to do with the way that it was cut a little heavy-handedly and revealed immediately as opposed to organically brought out during the story. Yes. Which might have helped it.
0: Yeah. It's super, I mean, it's like the last six minutes of the movie that okay, you find out. Yeah. It. Yeah.
1: Like he got a magical alien gun and blew up a guy and then <laughs> yes. made a flower out of tin cans.
0: Yeah. That's kind of it for what I watched. Uh, before we head, take a break and head into talking about the two movies and the, the meat of the episode, you are currently working on a web series that I we've am. talked about. Uh, <laughs> yes. Do you want to talk about the web series? Well, uh, this web series actually started
1: off as a stage play that was produced by my name James Cope here in Bakersfield uh, called Geeks vs. Zombies okay and uh it got really really good reviews it did something like three runs here in bakersfield i
0: think i remember the ads for the play
1: i believe it did two runs in los angeles which were very successful wow and a lot of people started wanting to uh actually purchase the rights to put on the play in other towns which i believe happened um and the two writers of this series uh james cope and dave rock really kind of wanted to take it further mm-hmm. and rather than just make a bunch of plays that don't make sense because you missed that one three years ago uh, we decided to develop it into a web series they got with me because I spent a senseless amount of money on equipment um, but it cost me nothing to produce a web series now so we kind of started working on it and we're on our uh, third episode right now okay uh, it's called geeks versus um, we've got geeks versus zombies part one uh, part two does not exist yet. Okay. For budget constraints. Uh, and then uh, Geeks vs. Vampire is the third slash second episode. And right now we're in production on uh, Geeks vs. Witches, which I am directing.
0: Okay. Um, and where can people find that?
1: That is on YouTube uh, you can just search geeks versus and it'll look like a a little book with a red font on it. Okay. Um, and I can give you a link if you want it. Yeah. I'll throw a link
0: on the episode description. Um, is there a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? There is a
1: Facebook. We are on Facebook. Um, geeks versus we're going to have a lot stronger social media presence now that we're starting to get more material to actually promote with. Okay. Um, but we are around and we'll be, uh, we'll be around a lot more in the coming months.
0: Okay. And then what, what's your release schedule?
1: Yes, Uh, we are filming one episode entirely in the month of October of this year, and then we're going to begin the next one in December. We would like to release them um, the first episode in January, and the second, uh, hopefully, in February. Oh, okay. Uh, These end up being fairly post-production heavy. We are actually shooting in 4K with real professional things. You know, we fill up Mm -hmm. a terabyte hard drive a day, Um, so it's not your standard we shot it on the iPad thing, and we can cut it that day Um, and as we're getting more comfortable in the series and it's finding its way we're uh, getting a lot more quality into it and doing more shots and more production value and um, they're getting better each episode and so we don't want to rush it for the sake of getting it out there Um, we're kind of going with more of a British BBC type schedule where we just focus on a few really solid well produced episodes as opposed to doing a weekly thing
0: Got it. Uh, so as
1: we go, we're gonna get hopefully more financing um, and be able to do a more maybe a monthly basis.
0: Okay. Is there any sort of an IndieGoGo or Kickstarter? For um, that? We
1: tried one and uh, the goal was a hundred dollars, okay. and uh, we made our goal by golly. Um, and we just decided to self-produce. So okay. right now uh, we're saving up. Each episode has a budget of about uh, four grand. Okay. Uh, which is nothing in the terms of yeah. Of film production a lot of people would be like wow four thousand dollars it's a lot that barely feeds you and covers gas yeah so as we're going i'd like to make it closer to ten thousand an episode we might consider doing a kickstarter for the second episode but we also have hopefully uh, potential investors that are planning to get in and hopefully turn this into something larger got it um it's a lot of fun to work on it's a lot of fun to watch uh not safe for work I yeah. yeah, I watched um, a chunk
0: of the first the first episode.
1: Yeah, I forget that sometimes, and I'll show it to people, and I'm like, oh, oh uh, uh, let me turn this down really quick. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, the characters, I think, are really good, and they each have recognizable archetypes, but also mm-hmm. have a little bit more depth to it, and we're starting to get more into that as we go.
0: Yeah, so. that's uh, that's one of the things I noticed out of the gate. Um, I will say, I, I have, I've been side-eyeing. He hasn't done anything yet, but I've been side-eyeing the Movie Geek character. Uh, just because that's my world, and I'm like, they better be accurate with that guy. Oh, he
1: is. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, that person in real life is on par with you, pretty much. Okay. And if you're like, oh, yeah, I just watched this film. He's like, oh, you mean the adaptation of the Russian version of that film from yeah, yeah, 1936 yeah. or the first adaptation from 1942? And you're like, <laughs> okay, dude, I saw the one that came out last weekend, and Yeah. you know it. Uh, so he's... We... Relentlessly fact check these. Yeah. Uh, the episode that we're producing now is Geeks versus Witches, and the writer slash producer of this show, who plays the comic book nerd uh, James Cope, has spent the last three months researching Wicca and real documented quote unquote witches and the Salem witch trials and just everything related to it to make sure that we're being as authentic as possible, mm-hmm. we're taking a little bit of licenses. And you know, there's real magic, yes. which. Well, I, I haven't seen anybody throw a fireball at somebody angrily, but you know, I'm not going to say it doesn't <laughs> exist. But there's a few licenses there, but the, the practices that they're doing, the way that they're uh, looking into the future and whatnot, mm-hmm. we're trying to be as authentic as we can at every aspect. Okay. So uh, I think our main challenge is if we can get through an episode without one geek going, oh yes, but you didn't do, th-, then we're happy. Yeah. So, and we're really striving to do that.
0: Yeah, and I will say one thing is there was one thing I thought happened, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" Mm-hmm. I thought I caught you guys on something, and then I rewound and found out that I just wasn't paying attention for a half second. And I was like, "Okay."
1: What was that? I love, I love that.
0: Uh, it was the the thing about the highest-grossing movie of all time. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was one of the uh, one of the fun parts because uh, we had a mini argument about that as we were writing it. And <laughs> it we seemed double checked.
0: Like it. it seemed like it.
1: So yeah
0: yeah so that's uh that's geeks versus yes it's hard for me to not call it uh geeks versus zombies just because there's the video game but with plants instead of geeks and also that's the name of the first episode yes so it's very tricky but yeah so geeks versus blank is mm -hmm. actually what it's called and when you sent me the facebook message about it i thought it was greeks versus
1: yeah we get that too um, which would
0: be an interesting episode yes yes uh you should do Geeks versus Greeks, and it's just them fighting a fraternity.
1: Hey. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, we'll uh, off mic, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll <laughs> see. Okay. Uh, we will take a short break, and we will be right back. And we are back. So, this week, we're taking on two films, mm-hmm. uh, as we usually do, from a legendary director. Uh, it pains me to say that, and we'll get into that in a <laughs> second. Um, but, but this weekend, uh, October 2nd, Ridley Scott has a new film coming out called The Martian, which is mm-hmm. based on the best-selling book of the same name by Andy Weir. And before we get into that, we're going to take a look back at Ridley Scott's career and take a movie that neither one of us have ever seen, which is a little bit shameful. It
1: is. It, um, I, I was very scared when MJ asked me if I'd saw it because I thought this was a trick question.
0: Yeah, it's it's a little bit shameful for both of us. Yes. So we're here as, as support, uh, but we're going to be talking about the 1982 film Blade Runner which is obviously one of the most well-respected sci-fi films ever made, yes. um, as well as, as sort of the crown jewel of Ridley Scott's uh, career. So before we get into either one of those, though, I want to talk about Ridley Scott the Man. Okay. So what, where do you stand on Ridley Scott? I think he needs a hug.
1: <laughs> I think he needs to be told that he is great, that he has fantastic instincts, that he's the best filmmaker that England has ever put out, and he needs to stop listening to what everybody else told him and just go back to who he is. But he's had a lot of a lot of struggle in his life, you know. He's he's lost people that are very close to him, which can it always influences your art. Yes, and um, I believe that the his first brother that he lost um, mm. really kind of helped him bring sensibility to his characters especially i assume in blade runner because it was right around that time yeah um but i think the the loss of his other brother more recently struck a different note yes and i think that has hurt him in a way that has made his art suffer as opposed to help us suffer through his art
0: yeah i would agree i am actually an unapologetic tony scott fan yes i love tony scott yes
1: fantastic Uh, And I think it's one of the biggest tragedies this industry has faced. Yeah. Um, I think as far as television is considered, he's amongst the best legend that television has seen. Yeah. Um, But I I feel that when you're working in such a sensitive media as motion picture, where you have to, especially as a writer-director a lot of the times, there's, there's an old quote i can't remember who said it but uh it's uh, no surprise for the writer no surprise for the reader no tears for the writer no tears for the reader mm. and I, I think that and i could be completely wrong and completely blacklisting myself by saying this i think ridley is afraid to em- embrace the loss of his brother uh in a way that allows him to channel it through his art because it's too real it's too fresh and mm-hmm. i think his art's suffering because he's trying to remind us that he can do these emotions without feeling them in himself
0: Fair enough. So that's uh that's good insight. That's uh, as pretentious as I can get. I don't like ninety percent of Ridley Scott's movies. <laughs> I'll give you that. I am going through his IMDb page right now, and uh, I see Alien, yes, Legend, um, and then nothing after Legend. I don't see anything until two thousand with Gladiator. And then Matchstick Man in 2003, which I think is horrendously underseen and underrated. And I think Nicolas Cage is great in that movie. And I always forget that he, uh, he directed that.
1: Well, I will go so far as to say that I think that um, Robin Hood was fantastic.
0: I've heard Robin Hood is good. I haven't seen that one.
1: I, I believe that if you go into it expecting a Robin Hood film, you'll get pissed off because you barely ever touches the bow and arrow and it doesn't feel like Robin Hood but if you go into it thinking let's go into the period of time in which the Robin Hood myth came from okay with a little bit more historical accuracy and just picking a person going through it you you'll love it um okay I, I think they had some great callbacks to real history uh to the way that he saw the Robin Hood myth and there's enough of it to call him Robin Hood mm-hmm. um and I think it was a great film, especially looking at the way that they produced it. Um, they did it in the old style. You know, they built us, Gilliath. They built us yeah. you know, we don't have that anymore, right. So I, I think Robin Hood was the last film where they're going to build sets. And I think the the New Hobbit series proved
0: that, yeah. um so, so what I will say about Ridley Scott mm-hmm. is I think he's a very technically proficient. Yes, director. I think he makes movies that look impeccable. Mm-hmm. My big problem with Ridley Scott is he doesn't fill them with anything. He doesn't fill them with any sort of human emotion that I feel connected to. Right, um, It's very rare that he does it. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. Obviously, Gladiator, Matchstick Man, and Alien. And Legend's just fun. I just love that movie. I have yet to see that as well. Oh, it's great. Tim Curry's The Devil. Literally, The Devil. In that movie, uh, and it's great, but like something like um, like going through his IMDb again, uh, American Gangster, not there is nothing. It, I mean, you've got Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington acting against each other, which should be fantastic, yeah, and just nothing from yeah. either one of them. And then his follow-up movie is Body of Lies, which was the sort of espionage movie about uh, you know the, the Middle East situation. Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe acting against each other Should be fantastic Was just hollow I think he just makes very hollow movies that right. look good Prometheus is one of the worst movies I've ever seen
1: I couldn't bring myself to watch it I got so excited from that first trailer And then I just got a feeling That this was going to make me angry uh, Because Alien I watched Alien at, at the age of 12 By myself in an old, run-down cabin in the middle of the Ozarks at midnight. And as soon as it was over, I had to walk from that cabin a mile to the house where I was staying in. By myself, at the summertime. I watched Alien and Predator the same night, and then did that. And I was so engrossed in an environment that was nurturing to horror. Yeah. That it was a stupid decision to watch it there, but... It got to me at such a level that I, I don't think any film has since then.
0: Alien's my favorite horror movie of all time. It it's was great. It was so
1: tactfully done. Oh, and every moment was perfect.
0: The It's perfect. That's a perfect movie. And the older I got, the more I would delve into
1: how they did it, the special effects, the visual right, effects, right. and everything. And I really love Ridley for that. The mm-hmm. depth that he goes with his films. And I looked at Prometheus. And I was like, hmm. No, that's that doesn't feel like it. Yeah. It doesn't feel right, and I think I made the right choice by not watching
0: it. You did. Um, I actually owe special thanks to Prometheus, because if I'm trying to get a job for a website writing, I submit my Prometheus review because it's the most impassioned about a movie I've ever written. Yes. Um, it's the best review I've ever written because of how much I hated it. And, and
1: your review was the reason I didn't go see it, because I was like, yep, that's what I thought. okay. That's I know enough. There yep. we go.
0: Yep. But yeah, that is. I think that's his biggest offender in terms of being extremely hollow. Maybe Hannibal, because of how human Silence of the Lambs is, and why Silence of the Lambs works. Mm. Ridley completely misses why that character works in Hannibal. But with digression aside, we're here to talk about. Blade Runner. Yes. Um, So Blade Runner, if you are living under a rock and have never heard of it, is a 1982 film starring Harrison Ford, Rucker Hauer, and who else? Do you know? No. Okay. Starring Harrison Ford and Rucker Hauer. And it's based off of a Philip K. Dick Mm -hmm. uh, novel called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, Have you read that?
1: I have read excerpts of it um, in comparisons when I then watched excerpts of scenes from Blade Runner Mm -hmm. to compare them one really quick aside I think you might touch on this it was a parallel between the author of that book and Ridley uh, which is the author of that book lost his twin sister Mm. very young okay and that uh, narrates a lot of the themes especially in androids okay uh, and the, the humanity and the duality of it and everything like that which paired up with Ridley's loss of his brother very well very early in his his filmic career right it wasn't he wasn't young but it was still a huge loss to him and i feel like he really clicked with the story in a way that another director might not have but that's why he took on this mm-hmm. project mm-hmm. um and i think that was an interesting duality between them uh, i don't know if that came across yeah and i'm wondering if it will that's yeah one of the things i really want to find out
0: yeah um so blade runner kind of had a it's interesting because I bought this movie on Blu-ray for the show um, and it was funny because the film notoriously has a bunch of cuts yes. um, of it and I went into it going I just I just want to watch the theatrical cut for it that's the way it was released in 1982 that's the way I want to see it you know. and if I like the movie then I'll delve into whatever else but I uh, right out of the gate uh, not bearing the lead I don't think I'm going to like the movie we'll get into that later but I don't think I'm going to like the movie so I don't want to buy the big you know, catch all right. all the cuts of the movie. Only thing they had at the DVD store, of course. So now I have four cuts of the movie that go. I think I'm going to hate. The back of the box, though, says it was a cult classic that has now earned a claim as a masterpiece. And I wasn't alive in 1982, but I don't know if that's true. It opened at number two mm-hmm. behind ET.
1: Well, Scott versus Spielberg, who do you think is going to win?
0: Exactly. So. Like, I don't know if the opening at number two the week after E.T. Yeah. Is enough to call it a cult cl- movie that found its way to being considered a masterpiece.
1: And to me, any time a movie is called a cult classic, what they're saying is, oh, you mean it's bad, but people like it because it's endearing? Okay, I get it to me
0: more or less yeah. uhf is what i'm going to take exception to because yes. i think that movie's a cult classic that movie's incredible
1: yeah and, and there are those standout ones where it's just like oh it didn't appeal to the sensibilities of the time and mm-hmm. now people have grown to it there is that but also there's just you know i've heard people call garbage pail kids a cult classic yeah sorry yeah it's yeah, not yeah. a classic by any means
0: yeah so um, yeah, so so I, th- that really confused... It seems like they're almost trying to rewrite Blade Runner's history, which is strange... Yes. ...because it's a hit. Like, why would you do that? Just leave it be. Yeah. So a lot of the terms that are, are thrown around with this movie are neo-noir mm-hmm. and cyberpunk. and yeah. So I think this movie has a place in, in that it kind of kicked off cyberpunk. Like, we hadn't really seen anything considered cyberpunk... Yeah. until that and the movie is actually looks great like i've seen stills and, and clips and it yes looks really good
1: i uh, i studied visual effects and uh we tore that film apart it was one of the first sci-fi films that showed exteriors in a sci-fi mm. world especially in a dystopian sci-fi world everything else had been super clean and like metropolis and these wonderful cities of all shining white metal and stuff, and he really got gritty. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and
1: if you if you look into the miniatures that they built in the cities, especially the depth and everything uh, that they pumped into these little models to make these incredible vista shots, that I I'm gonna be honest and, and say something that people might not like. I I don't think the effects hold up. Okay. Um, I believe that a lot of Ridley's effects outside of Alien don't hold up fair enough from that period of time um just because of his mixing of medias I think that and I might catch flack for this Lucas mastered it yeah. in the original Star Wars yeah everything felt so real and um it could be because I was looking at older transfers of the film that weren't so good laser disc and VHS and mm-hmm. it maybe just didn't capture the flares and everything right but it felt Felt like that one Michael Jackson movie where he turned Captain into like, a robot. Yeah, sure. It felt like that. The
0: uh, uh, the Disneyland one?
1: No, the one that came out on VHS.
0: Oh, and, oh, I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, uh, which the work that they put into it and certain shots are incredible. Right. You're like, oh my god, that that must have taken so much time and the amount of fiber optic lights that they put in to make the city look great. Those shots look incredible. But then there's shots where they have like a flying car going mm-hmm. through, and it just looks like you're watching a VHS tape in, in right. the 1990s, and right. it just doesn't hold up.
0: Right. Um, so what what are you expecting out of Blade Runner? Um, from what I've heard, I'm expecting to see the
1: beginning of the lull of Harrison Ford's career. Really? Um, yeah, I, I feel like he had potentially a great character but the the theatrical release um, removed a lot of what made mm-hmm. his character good and made him look subpar okay um and i'm also expecting to see a lot of the 1980s styles that i hate okay um, the 80s were in my opinion one of the worst things to happen in that century um i think like world war ii and then the 80s and then the 80s yeah uh, yeah so um uh, I, I'm expecting it to be painful to watch, but at the same time it'd be really uh, interesting to see how all these visual effects and special effects I've studied play mm-hmm. into
0: it. are you what are you expecting emotionally out of the movie?
1: I'm hoping that the cut that I see is the one in which the story actually came through and is a really nice duality between two friends, brothers, symbionts that that experience loss in different ways and I, I want to see him play up human nature in a way that we've both talked about how he either hits it or he misses Yeah. I'm hoping this is a hit um, because it has story wise it has the potential to say you know what the, this is how I experienced loss you know we both yeah, experienced yeah. some pretty substantial losses and I want to be able to bond to a character Okay. and I want to feel that I want to feel validation for the way that I experience loss through one of these characters.
0: So for, for me, Blade Runner, do you have any prior experience with Blade Runner?
1: Just the uh, times that I've been able to fake conversations like I've seen it. Uh, okay. And the visual effects and special effects analysis that I've done. Okay. The films. I have not sat down and watched a trailer even.
0: Okay. So. I've seen the first, oh, maybe 15 minutes of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it, um, but I know I turned it off. Yeah, yeah, I did not like it.
1: Always a good sign.
0: Yep, I, I remember not liking it. Um, if you listen to the very first episode of the podcast, uh, this is this is how we started, and that is uh, that was Fight Club. I had seen the first fifteen or twenty minutes of Fight Club, and I did not like it. Same here. And I rewatched it as my first episode, and I ended up liking it, although I felt like it was extremely bloated. Yeah. Um, I at the time I didn't know it was a satire. Okay. And so that 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 helped color it a lot for me, mm. because it's a very good satire. So it kind of, if you if you don't know it, goes completely over your head that it's satire. Right. So Blade Runner, I don't think I was as informed as I am now. Right. Um, I think I'm much more mature than I was when I tried watching Blade Runner. I think I may have still been in high school when I tried watching it um, as a a budding film buff. Uh, I didn't have. The knowledge about the technical aspects of making a film um, And the knowledge of subtext I, like Subtext wasn't a thing right. For me and when you're discovering films in high school You're just like that's, see, that's, I've never seen that before because I'm 16 You know
1: And when you, were, when you grew up in the 90s Subtext was so masterfully done right. That it wasn't something we had to be conscious of Because it wasn't Completely hidden or spoon-fed mm.
0: for, for the
1: golden era of the 90s Towards the end of
0: them. Yeah. Well, and I would I would argue that Spielberg spoon-feeds you subtext, but it's yes. great. Like uh, that is not a complaint yeah. against Spielberg. Spielberg is the greatest of all time at spoon-feeding you subtext. When
1: Spielberg spoon-feeds you it's ice cream. When yes. other people spoon-feed you it's medicine.
0: Yeah. So. Yes. That's the perfect way. Yeah. yeah. So for me Blade Runner is is just seems like another and I think if I if I try to remember why I turned it off I try to remember turning it off because I wasn't connecting to the movie at all. Mm-hmm. It felt very sterile. It looks great. Yeah. Best I remember, that movie had really good shot composition, but it just there's nothing in the world for me to like grab onto, um, and and that becomes a huge problem when you're watching a film, especially when it is something as at like for as lush as those uh, sci-fi scapes look. It's always been sold to me as a character piece and so if i can't grab onto a character i don't like it um and this might be where i end up venturing into the other cuts of the movie right and i want to talk about that for a second so um originally he ridley scott was showing this work print of the movie that didn't have a narration Mm -hmm. and had kind of a really sad ending yeah um, the It didn't test well, and the studio made him change it. Right. So the theatrical cut has a happy ending, and there's a voiceover kind of explaining everything to you as it goes along. That work print was unearthed and released in 1990, 1990 I believe. Maybe 91. Mm. Um, and people liked that one better because it didn't spoon feed them and it had the sadder ending which actually seems like the more logical closure point for the film is my understanding Ridley Scott didn't give permission to have that work print released so he released the director's cut right? um, which I think kind of retooled the voiceover I don't know if it completely removed it I don't remember
1: I think I do remember that there is some voiceover in there which pissed people off which then motivated
0: 2007 um, 2007 you have HD DVD and Mm Blu-ray wars starting to happen and everyone's trying to get their backlog onto the new formats. So that means a lot of reissues. And with the Blade Runner reissue came another cut of Blade Runner. The final cut is what it's called. And that one is essentially the director's cut minus the voiceover. Mm -hmm. Um, And with still the downer ending. So... There's so many different ways for this movie to happen. It's like, it's it's almost choose-your-own-adventure movie on accident. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and so it's very, like, it seems to be a problem that has plagued the entirety of Ridley Scott's career. Mm-hmm. And that, he doesn't seem to have very much control over his edits. Which is shocking to me, because he is an,
1: a legendary director. Love yep. him or hate him. Yeah. He's one of the most powerful people in the industry. Exactly. And you would think that what he says goes, which is a power that Lucas had, which in my opinion is why the, the episodes one, two, and three sucked, is because he had too much control. Mm-hmm. But I think Ridley doesn't have enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was incredibly... Constantly doesn't have
1: enough. Incredibly disrespectful to him as a filmmaker to not allow him to do his own cut. Yeah. That's one of the things as a director, especially as a young director myself, I started editing when I was 16 years old. I have the mindset of an editor. So as I'm on set preparing my stuff, I'm in that mindset. How do I want this film to end? I'm not sharing it with a producer. I'm not sharing it with anyone except my editor. Right. So maybe I made decisions... That are going to pay off when I get in the cutting room that if you're going to take my cut from me and just do, you don't know. Yeah. And I feel like it was very disrespectful to him as a filmmaker and equally disrespectful to release a work print. Yes. So I think the first two versions of the film are very rude to Mr. Scott.
0: Yeah. Well, the work print wasn't released with the studio's permission either. Right. Right. Um, that was just released by some film nerds that were like, hey, look at this cool, better version of Blade Runner. Terrible. Which, to a certain point, it gets real muddy for me, because I kind of get it.
1: At one point, you (laughs) want to see that. You want to know, Yeah. what would episode one be like without Jar Jar Binks? Might be really cool. Yeah. But at the other point, you have to say, however, that's not the film that they made. And especially coming from knowing what it's like to put in those 12 to 15 hour days for three months of your life and not having any personal life outside of it and literally bleeding into the film it, it's it kind of sucks when people go yeah i know you did that but look at this version that's better You're yeah like, cool they took everything i did and recut it in their bedroom and now they're getting praised for what i did right so i see that
0: yeah um and and This is something that I think, like I said, has plagued Ridley for his entire career. Mm. Kingdom of Heaven being another example, I've only seen the theatrical cut of Kingdom of Heaven, and that movie's atrocious. But I've always heard that the director's cut is really good, and I've heard it's all like damn near perfect. In the director's cut, I've heard kind of the same about Robin Hood. To my knowledge, it's not as much of a travesty as Kingdom of Heaven.
1: I did watch the director's cut, I will say. I did not watch the theatrical. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's why I enjoyed
0: it so much. I've heard the director's cut of that is great. My problem with that is Martin Scorsese doesn't do director's cuts. And, you know, he had a, I think he had a five-hour version of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And the studio was like, we're not letting you turn that in. And he was like, that's fair. I just wanted to put this cut together to see what it would look like. And he cut two hours of stuff out of it. And that movie still works. And he was doing a press for it. And they asked him if he was going to release that five hour cut on the Blu-ray. And he said no, that part of his job as a filmmaker is to operate within the bounds of the theatrical cut. And... I don't know if I don't know what's going on in Ridley's career like it seems like he should have final say in the cut but it seems like that doesn't happen a lot and I don't know if that's by choice if he's just like, oh well I'll get it on the blu ray when I get the directors cut and he's just fine with releasing them like that or it, it could
1: be. Um, it could also be because in the British school of things the director's a lot less powerful mm. than over here the pond Mm -hmm. Um, the director here uh, still has to answer the executive producers still doesn't have final say a lot of people think that you know a a director can say no I want this shot in there well the executive producer can go well he's wearing a patch that I'm going to have to pay 50 million or you know $50,000 to license and I don't think it's worth it and he has to go okay we'll take it out You know, you don't. At a certain
0: level. I feel like Scorsese can just say he wants whatever shots he wants. When you're Scorsese or when you're Spielberg or anybody like that, you're
1: noticing in the credits they are also executive producers. Fair enough. So when you're just starting and you're working on something executive produced by Spielberg, he gives you a lot of reign because he was a director. When you're working for Bruckheimer, Bruckheimer gets his way.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Or grazer. It
1: doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you want. If it's not what he wants, noting, Bruckheimer is very story conscious and mm-hmm. he understands and respects his directors. But when he wants something done, it's done. Yeah. In the British school of it, it's very similar to the BBC. The the, the producers have all the control.
0: But Scott Free Productions.
1: Yeah, he as Scott does is almost exclusively listed as a producer. Rarely as an executive producer.
0: Oh, I see.
1: So that's like saying you're the judge, but you're not the Supreme Court justice. Got it. So you have a lot more say than somebody directing an episode of Doctor Who would. hmm But you don't have Stephen Moffat power. Right, so.
0: right. Okay. That makes more sense mm-hmm. now that you break that down. Yeah, it's just, it's something that I feel like... Uh, is really been detrimental, especially in recent years, and I don't even know I, I, because the director's cut, or final cut, or work print, or whatever the hell any cut that's not the, director or the, not the theatrical cut of Blade Runner is so much more respected mm-hmm. than the theatrical cut of Blade Runner I feel like part of it might be on Ridley Scott where he's like, well, I don't know I was able to re-release this movie twice and get way more acclaim for it so I'll just do that with every movie now
1: yeah, where he kind of wants to be the underdog, so he's allowing himself to do that. It, it could be a brilliant marketing strategy, because the guy's not hurting for money.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, he's still making big-budget movies for some reason. Like, yeah, I don't... It could be. I yeah. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's... I think we've kind of exhausted everything we can say about Blade Runner having not seen the movie. Yes. And that, that kind of transitions us into 2015. Mm-hmm. This weekend, The Martian... Is opening, and *The Martian* is based off of a book by Andy Weir, and the essential plot of the book is that we are now sending manned missions to Mars, Mm. and what happens is Matt Damon's character is part of one of those manned missions. He there's an accident during a dust storm on Mars, and his team has to leave in an emergency, and he's nowhere to be found, and. they make the tough choice of not going to find him because the risk wouldn't be worth the three of them potentially losing their lives. So they go back to Earth Well, Matt Damon's character wakes up and he's still alive on Mars. It takes four years to get there. They're not sending another team until the f- team he was with gets back. Yeah. So it's f- eight years that he has to uh, wait it out, I believe. It's
1: what, what it looks like from the trailer because yeah. it looks like his team's on Earth or near Earth when yes. they find out.
0: Yeah, so he wakes up and, and now has to survive on Mars for eight years, mm-hmm. and he has to figure that out. And it's based off of this book that was a massive bestseller, and it was self-published. I think it was. I think it's the biggest-selling self-published book uh, in history. Wow. Yep. The rights for the film were sold before the book was done. So it's a good sign. To yeah. the story of the book, anyways. Yeah. Um, so Ridley Scott is, is handling this story. It's got a cast that includes uh, Donald Glover and a couple other people whose names escape me. I don't remember who else is in that movie. It's
1: that one really pale lady.
0: Rooney Mara? Sure. Okay. Um, that seems like something she would be in.
1: Jessica Chastain.
0: Oh, got it.
1: Kate Mara is in
0: it. Oh, Kate Mara. Okay.
1: And then the guy from The Mighty Ducks. Emilio? <laughs> no, Jeff Daniels.
0: Oh. Man, there's a really... Sean Bean's in this? He's gonna die.
1: He's gonna He'll die. Or be the bad guy.
0: Yep. Gia 4 This movie has a great cast. Uh, Kristen Wiig. Michael yep. Peña. All right. Neat. So, uh, you haven't read the book, right? I have not. Okay, I've read a chunk of it, and it's very good. It's um, very mathy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I hate math, and it's still very good. Um, I hate math because I'm not good at it. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't respect math I just hate it. It's very much this This he feels like a very human character in that he knows he has to overcompensate or else he will die. Mm-hmm. So he comes off very arrogant but there's this just underneath in the way it's written it's because he's so insecure but you also understand why he's so insecure because he's on Mars for eight years yeah. um, so you understand that he has to kind of present himself as like, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm going to badass. And, and with that undertone of like, I don't know if this is going to work, to be perfectly honest. I could die. And I think there's something very human in that, which makes me very nervous for Ridley Scott handling yeah. this picture, yeah. as, as we've just learned. So what, uh, with the limited knowledge you have of The Martian, what are you expecting out of it?
1: What I would like to expect is Castaway.
0: Oh, yeah, Castaway I 2,
1: In Space. That's one of my absolute favorite films. Um, I, I really think it doesn't, I mean, it gets a lot of acclaim, but I think that when you really look at it, you're like, that got really into the human condition of isolation and how much we need other people mm. and how little people these days know how to survive for real. You know, if we lost everything here, we're sitting here and all the electricity goes away and all the water that runs through our pipes goes away, can we do it? Right. Now, take yourself and put you in the middle of the Sahara, can you do it? How about Mars? Yeah. You know, and I I think that that's something that is a fear that a lot of people have. Maybe they don't address. I think that's why apocalypse films and zombie films are so successful Mm -hmm. is it addresses, can I survive? And uh, I really want to see that challenged here. And I really want to see a triumph. Um, I really want to see somebody silence or science the bleep out of something. Yes. You know, that, that moment in the trailer, I was like, all right, this could be cool. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's going to be a marriage of um, of Castaway and Home Alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, kind of, you know. Like, yes,
0: based on what I've read. Yes. Yeah, I,
1: and I, I really want that. Yeah. I'm nervous that we're going to get Castaway overtones with District Nine. Okay. Um, Which, as you know, is one of my least favorite films.
0: I actually didn't know that until I picked up on you digging on it
1: earlier. I love what they wanted to do with it. I hate what it turned into. You have to, like we spoke about earlier, know the goal of your film and achieve that. Yeah. It just didn't do what I needed it to do. Uh, And I'm worried that this might just make me hate Jeff Daniels more. Okay. From what I've seen in the trailers. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can completely understand the decision not to send a multi-billion dollar expedition to go save one man on a planet.
0: Yeah, there's inherent good conflict there.
1: Yes. And and that is the, deci- uh, the decisive point, which is what is the value of a human life? Mm. Um, and I I do worry, like you said, Ridley has difficulty with those sometimes. Visually, it's going to be stunning. Yeah. It's going to be tenseful. There's going to be moments where you want to pause it and just look at a shot.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, that's something I always feel like he can deliver.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: Is it going to be something that as soon as it comes out, I buy? I don't know. Yeah. I really don't.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, this is a movie that's going to come down to how Ridley Scott handles humanity Mm -hmm. and his track record with it isn't good. We're not saying he can't do it. It's just something he struggles with. Um, looking at the early reviews, they're very positive, that doesn't necessarily sway me because I'm a good film critic, but also it doesn't necessarily sway me because I think a lot of his movies get positive reviews and I still don't like them. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I think Matt Damon looks really good in it. He does. And I, I think I think Jeff Daniels looks really good in it, but I like Jeff Daniels a lot. Matt Damon's more hit or miss with me, but I I think he looks. This is right up Matt Damon's alley.
1: I think so. And I think this is something that can put I, I keep saying I want to say put him on the map they're on the map but make it worthy for them to be there yeah I, I think we're at a serious point in film where we're going to lose a lot of our actors that are the ones that you would paint their full face on a poster right um, and I think we need to get back to that and I think he's one of the contenders
0: yeah I think um, so too um... and
1: that's something ironically is being brought up at least in the trailer of another movie coming up that I might be a little ashamed about to say that I'm looking forward to, which is The Intern.
0: Oh, that movie looks adorable. It
1: does, but it, it really, just in that thing, how did we go in one generation from men like Harrison Ford and uh, I forget who else she says, to this? Oh, yeah. And you really go, you know what? That, that's true, and especially for the male actors. I, I feel like we've got a lot of celebrities that are mm-hmm. in movies now and not career actors and and we're on the verge of losing a lot of those guys they're getting older and we need a generation to step up and this could be Matt Damon's chance to say instead of I'm gonna science the bleep out of this say I'm gonna Tom Hanks the bleep out of this you know And, and I think he needs to yeah I think it's almost as much on him as it is on Ridley
0: yeah yeah i mean he's got to carry it he's gonna be alone for such long stretches yeah and the tom hanks analogy is apt because of the castaway Mm -hmm. um parallel you drew to your castaway point before i get too far away from it the reason that movie works though is because you've got the the prince of spoon feeding you spielberg is the king you've got the prince behind the the camera on that one which is zemeckis right um who's from the spielberg school but you know look at back to the future great movie the most spoon-fed I feel like I've oh, ever yeah. been in a movie. But, you look but at the, in the best way possible. Like, and it's you look the target
1: still. audience there. Like, yeah. I feel like he was like, hey, Goonies for slightly older. Let's, let's take that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is going to be more like, hey, you, like us, our age group, mm-hmm. here's a film that's going to make you think when this goes off. Yeah. And, and I really think that uh, it can be something. Yeah, I agree. And and I really hope it is, because he's due for a hit. Yeah. Because I don't think he's handled it in a while.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm more optimistic about this than I have been most Ridley Scott movies in the past. Yeah. Um, I wrote for a short time for a film website last year and had to review Exodus, and it was just... It was so hard to write that review because of how mediocre that movie is. Like, it's just... There's just so much nothing but it's not bad nothing going on yeah and so it's really hard to watch like it's just like ah everyone in this movie's been better including the director yeah no that's
1: definitely true i i often find that i enjoy ridley scott more in the making of portion of the dvd than i do in the film itself yeah uh and one, the one time I think it tied was Gladiator. Yeah. yeah I yeah. have watched the behind-the-scenes on Gladiator a dozen times, and I love it. And I watch it with a notebook. But I love that film. Yeah, it's a good I movie. And I'm sit there and I'll watch really it over and over and over again. I have thoroughly analyzed Aliens and Alien 2.
0: Alien the, behind and the scene,
1: Yeah. And I did not like those movies. I like Alien... Oh, you mean Aliens Aliens and Alien 3. Aliens and Alien Theory 3. I didn't like those two, but the making of is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing he always says is he never makes a mediocre-looking film, like you say. Right. And his process is incredible, and when you look at how he breaks down everything, it's so great where I'm just like, if you could just get that
0: last little piece Mm and there'd be your Mona Lisa. Yeah. Aliens and Alien 3 were not directed by him, though.
1: I know, but still. Yeah. It's it's a world that he created, and you know... I don't know I feel like he's due for it and I, I want yeah, it to be I agree and I regardless agree. I want to see the making of because it yeah. looks really cool
0: it does it does it looks like production from a production design standpoint it looks painstaking
1: yes especially the suits that they're wearing yes. and the amount of damage the thing sustains and i'm just thinking of the poor strip supervisor and continuity people who are having to make this look the same yeah every day yeah uh i also feel bad for the camera team because that's a lot of dust going around yeah yeah you know, it is a lot is. of garbage bags you guys went through so props it was tough
0: yeah um i'm i'm hopeful for it i'm 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 hoping Matt Damon can pull it through. I'm hoping Ridley Scott can pull it through. I'm just very cautious. Yeah. And I think understandably. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's uh got the groundwork laid for it very well.
0: Yeah. Did you um did you see a movie called All Is Lost? No. Okay. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? No. Uh Robert Redford. Okay. And it's just Robert Redford stranded on a boat. It starts with Robert Redford standard, stranded on a boat. It ends with Robert Redford stranded on a boat. Uh, he directed it, and it is one of the quietest movies I've ever seen. Mm. Um, it's it, like it's literally like if you just started Cast Away with him on the island. Okay. Uh, and
1: but, left it before he gets saved.
0: Yeah. It le- if you left it as he's getting saved, because okay. that's how all his loss ends. So you see the boat pulling up to him, okay. and that's about it. Like, there's no—there's, like— this is being generous six lines in the whole movie wow yeah and it's great it's a really good survival story i don't know that i need to see it again because man not a lot of words in that movie (laughs) um but i think that tapped into what makes a survival story great Mm -hmm. and i think there's i think there's something very there's something very tangible about a survival story and i think it's I actually do think it's probably pretty easy to tap into. It should
1: be. It's a it's a base instinct that mankind yes. has. Everyone knows what it's like to want to survive.
0: Yeah. And even though we haven't been in dire straits, such as being on an island or Mars or in the middle of a boat, we know what it's like to be alone and not know what to do. Yeah, Everyone's had at least one moment. Even if you were a child and that's like...
1: You know That I, moment when you lose your parents at the store. If you've
0: been lost in the store, exactly.
1: Doesn't matter how many people are actually there, you're alone.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And uh, I, it strikes me a little bit because there have been several times in my life when I have been completely lost in the wilderness by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, March of this year, uh, I, I went camping and uh, it snowed when it wasn't supposed to. And I was stuck with three other people. Who had no survival skills at all. And I had to start fire in the snow after rain with only summer gear. Bad call on my part. It was 90 degrees when we drove up at snowed the next day. But there was that moment when, like, I was telling everybody, we're fine. Mm-hmm. And they, if they listen to this, they're going to get pissed at me. There's nothing to worry about. I do this all the time. And I'm like, I'm just going to go get some dry wood. I walked out in the woods and I panicked for a good hour of, like, okay, I'm going back to everything I learned back in Boy Scouts. How do I keep us alive? Because yeah. I've got my summer bag and it's going to get into the 20s tonight. Um, so I, I love survival films for that reason. Yeah. And I stupidly put myself in that situation again and again and again. But on the same level, it is that moment where you got bullied in high school. And you're trying to think, how do I keep doing this? How do I continue to go? And you don't tell anybody. And that's your struggle. That's what you have to survive. Yes. It doesn't matter if you're in the woods, if you're on a planet, if you're a kid, like you said, yeah. every human has it. And I think that that's going to be able to allow Ridley kick the doors open. You can connect with everybody now. Just do yeah. it. Just do it. Yeah. Just reach
0: out. Yeah. We're reaching for you. It's a softball. It's a yeah. huge softball. Yeah. And I think he needs a softball. He does.
1: And I, I think he has the potential to get a softball and hit it out of the park.
0: Yeah. I do too. Um,
1: and it, not to knock him as a filmmaker, because he's incredible as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. but I don't think that he can do it alone and i think he as a person is more alone right now in his life than he has been yeah ever yeah uh and like i told you i, I think he's suffering from that and i think he needs to let himself suffer more so that we can suffer with him so that he can move on yeah and i hope that he does that in his film
0: i actually think that based on what I, the very little i've seen from production. It seems like the most collaborative set he's been on in a while.
1: Which he needs. Which he
0: needs, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It it seems like the production of this has been very good for him. And it comes across in the trailer, I think. I think the tone of the movie looks very... Even though it's survivalist, it looks very hopeful. Mm -hmm. And... He hasn't done anything very hopeful-looking in a while. Yeah, I um, have... which is crazy because he made a movie about Moses. Yeah, and like kind of ended it on a downbeat. It was just tough to
1: do. Yeah, because that's like one of the great human triumph stories. Yeah, and you're like, oh, no, we're not gonna do that version. Yeah. Uh, yep,
0: yeah. but yeah, uh I think we'll see. That's yeah. what I have to say yeah, about we'll both. Um, I'm um, looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing both movies. Uh, thank you for being on.
1: Absolutely, it's been a pleasure.
0: Yep. Uh, what was the YouTube again?
1: YouTube. It's uh, Geeks Versus, and okay. uh, I'll go ahead and get you a link. We're on YouTube and Facebook, okay. and hopefully more forms of media in the near future.
0: Okay, sounds good. Um, as always, you can uh, find me on Facebook, on Twitter. That's at Before and After Pod. That's at Before the letter N after pod um email the show before and after show at gmail.com and until next week go watch recommend a movie go see a man from uncle yes go watch a man from uncle i agree with that (laughs)
1: Did
0: it,